European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 40. Focus Issue, Heart Failure, by Editor-in-Chief, Professor Thomas Lucia. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, Towards an Understanding of an Enigma. The management of heart failure has made impressive progress over the last three decades, with the introduction of angiotensin-converting enzymes, or ACE, inhibitors, beta-blockers, antagonists of the mineralocorticoid receptor, and more recently, angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors, or ARNI. Beyond that, devices such as cardiac resynchronization therapy, or CRT, and implantable cardioverter defibrillators, ICDs, have contributed to improved management. As outlined in my viewpoint, Lumpers and Splitters, The Bumpy Road to Precision Medicine, lumping all patients with reduced ejection fraction, or HEFREF, together, made this possible. Now, however, splitting has become increasingly important, as patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathies are frequently genetically characterized and will receive more personalized management. On the other hand, patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, remain an enigma. Although splitting those with transthyretin amyloid cardiomyopathy has proven an unforeseen success, the remaining patients with HEFPEF still await an effective treatment. As pointed out, the definition of HEFPEF should concentrate on those with an EF of greater than 60% as based on a sub-analysis of TOPCATH and PARAGON. It appears that those with EF of less than 60% and greater than 40%, the so-called HEFMREF, are most likely milder forms of HEFREF and not a separate entity. In those patients, both a mineral or corticoid antagonist and an ARNI appear to be beneficial. This leads to an important question addressed in the fast-track manuscript entitled How to Diagnose Heart Failure with Preserved Ejection Fraction, the HFA-PEF Diagnostic Algorithm, a consensus recommendation from the Heart Failure Association, HFA, of the European Society of Cardiology, ESC, by Burkett Pisker from the Charité Berlin in Germany and colleagues. They recommend a novel-stage HFA-PEF diagnostic algorithm, including Step 1 in the ambulatory settings documenting symptoms, medical history, demographics and comorbidities, and ECG and echocardiography. In the absence of overt non-cardiac causes of breathlessness, elevated natriuretic peptides, or MP, a normal LVEF, no significant heart valve disease or cardiac ischemia, and at least one typical risk factor, a diagnosis of HEFPEF can be suspected. The second step requires comprehensive echocardiography, including E, E-prime ratio, left atrial volume index, LV mass index and relative wall thickness, tricuspid regurgitation velocity, LV global longitudinal systolic strain, and MP defined as a major two points or a minor one point criteria were defined from these measures. A score of greater than or equal to 5 points implies definite HEFPEF, while less than 1 point makes it unlikely. An intermediate score of 2 to 4 points implies diagnostic uncertainty, in which case step 3 is recommended by echocardiographic or invasive hemodynamic exercise testing. Step 4 is recommended to establish a possible specific cause of HEFPEF. HEFPEF and pathological cardiac aging share a complex pathophysiology and extracellular matrix remodeling. Protease-activated receptor 2, or PAR2, deficiency is associated with extracellular matrix remodeling. 
In their basic science paper, protease-activated receptor 2 deficiency mediates cardiac fibrosis and diastolic dysfunction. Ursula Rausch and colleagues from the Charité Berlin in Germany note that the role of PAR1 and PAR2 have not been studied in HEFPEF. Endomyocardial biopsies from 14 patients with HEFPEF revealed that a reduced cardiac PAR2 expression was associated with diastolic dysfunction and myocardial fibrosis. In line, PAR2 knockout mice suffered from diastolic dysfunction with preserved LVEF and increased age-dependent alpha-smooth muscle actin expression, collagen deposition, lysyl oxidase activity, collagen cross-linking, endothelial activation and inflammation. In the absence of PAR2, the receptor regulating protein Kvalin-1 was downregulated, contributing to an augmented profibrotic PAR1 and transforming growth factor beta or TGF-beta dependent signaling. This enhanced TGF-beta PAR1 signaling increased N-proteinase and C-proteinase related collagen-1 production from cardiac fibroblasts. PAR2 overexpression in PAR2 knockout mice reversed these effects. The treatment with PAR1 antagonist vorapaxar almost halved cardiac fibrosis and reduced inflammation in the apolipoprotein E knockout mice. In patients with HEFPEF with upstream PAR inhibition via factor 10x inhibitors, circulating markers of fibrosis and diastolic dysfunction were reduced compared to those treated with vitamin A antagonists. Thus, PAR2 is an important regulator of profibrotic PAR1 and TGF-beta signaling. Modulation of the factor 10A, factor 2A PAR1, PAR2 and TGF-beta axis might be a promising therapeutic approach to reduce HEFPEF, a provocative conclusion that is put into context in a balanced editorial by Hugo Katus from the University Hospital Heidelberg in Germany. In patients with HEFREF, digitalis has been the standard for centuries after the initial description of its effect in dropsy by William Withering. However, although the symptoms usually improve, the DIG trial, the only large randomised trial of digoxin in heart failure, was neutral on mortality. Recent observational studies have reported increased mortality in digoxin treatment. In their article, Digoxin Mortality, Randomised versus Observational Comparison in the DIG trial, Lucas Malta Aguirre Davila and colleagues from the Medicinisch Hochschule Hanover in Germany present further insight into the DIG trial. Of the 6,800 patients in the DIG trial, 44% had been treated with digoxin before randomization, and half of them were randomly withdrawn from digoxin treatment. Even after adjustment, mortality and heart failure hospitalization were higher in the patients pre-treated with digoxin, with a hazard ratio of 1.22 and 1.46 respectively. This persisted even after they received placebo during the trial and sharply contradicts the neutral effect on mortality and heart failure hospitalization observed in the randomized comparison. Thus, digoxin may be an indicator of disease severity and worse prognosis, which cannot be fully accounted for by covariate adjustments. These concerning findings are put into clinical context in a thoughtful editorial by Peter van der Meer and colleagues from the University Medical Center Groningen in the Netherlands. Circulating high-sensitivity cardiac troponin and soluble ST2 reflect myocardial stress in patients with heart failure, while production of CGMP in response to natriuretic peptides reduces afterload and preload. In their fast-track manuscript, cardiovascular biomarkers in patients with acute decompensated heart failure, randomized to sacubitril valsartan or enalapril in the Pioneer HF trial, 
David Morrow and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, assess the effect of sacubitral valsartin on these biomarkers in patients with acutely decompensated HEFREF. Pioneer HF was a randomized double-blind trial of sacubitral valsartin versus enalapril in 881 patients with acutely decompensated heart failure following hemodynamic stabilization in which circulating high-sensitivity cardiac troponin or HSTNT, soluble ST2 and urinary CGMP at baseline and up to 8 weeks were measured. Compared with enalapril, sacubitril valsartin led to a greater decline in HSTNT and soluble ST2 as early as one week and was significant at four weeks. Urinary GMP increased with sacubitril valsartin compared with a decline with enalapril up to eight weeks. Of note, cardiovascular death or rehospitalization for heart failure were associated with HSTNT soluble ST2. Thus, biomarkers of myocardial stress are elevated in patients with acute decompensated HEFREF and associated with outcome. Compared with enalapril, sacubitril valsartin reduces myocardial injury and hemodynamic stress as reflected by biomarkers, with an onset that is apparent within one to four weeks. These findings are further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Milton Packer from the Baylor University Medical Center at Dallas in Texas, USA. Furthermore, this issue is complemented by discussion forum contributions. In a first one entitled, Detecting Right Ventricular Dysfunction in Patients Diagnosed with Low-Risk Pulmonary Embolism, Is Routine Computed Tomographic Pulmonary Angiography Sufficient? David Vinson and colleagues from the Permanente Medical Group in Sacramento, California, USA, comment on the article, Early Discharge and Home Treatment of Patients with Low-Risk Pulmonary Embolism, with the oral factor 10A inhibitor rivaroxaban, an international multi-center single-arm clinical trial by Stavros Konstantinides from the University Medical Center Mainz in Germany and his colleagues, the hot PE investigators. Konstantinides and colleagues respond to Vincent et al. in a separate contribution. In another discussion forum contribution entitled Technical Challenges for Extracellular Vesicle Research Towards Clinical Translation, Santiago Rura from the Fundacio Instituto de Investigacio en Ciencias de la Salud Germans Trias y Pujol in Badalona, Barcelona, Spain, comment on the article Exosomes for Cardioprotection Are We Ready for Clinical Translation? by Maximilian Emmert and colleagues from the Deutsche Zentrum für Herzkrieslaufuschung in Berlin, Germany. And Emmert et al. respond to it. Finally, Anseline Martin and colleagues from the Université de Paris and Paris, France, comment on the recently published article The Year in Cardiology 2018, Heart Failure. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.